We're in a series called Christians with Addictions, and we're facing, uh, we're looking at Psalm 51, which is our main passage, and we'll go to that in a little bit uh, when we get to point number three. Uh, every sermon in the series starts with what letter? R. R. So part one was recognize, part two was take responsibility, part three was the roots, like why do I keep going in this area, there's some root, part four was repent, uh, change the way you think, and today in part five, wait, wait, before we show it, did anybody guess what the title of the sermon is? It starts the letter R. That's a hint. No, it's not receive. I can't really hear that well. Part five is this. Renew. Oh, renew. Ah, oh, ooh, ah, renew. So after you repent and you change the way you think, we don't need to get resaved as Christians, but we do need to renew our mind regularly if we're ever going to fulfill our God-given destiny. Um, when you got saved, your spirit became perfect. The Holy Spirit comes in your life, and that's, that spirit is what takes your soul to heaven. So your spirit was saved. Your body will be saved. You get a new body in heaven. But your soul is being saved. Your soul is being sanctified. The way we grow is by feeding our mind, our will, and our emotions the Word of God. And if you're ever going to grow year after year after year, you got to get in the Word, and not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday as well. Have you ever come across somebody that you knew many years ago, five years, ten years, twenty years ago, and you see them, and, and they're acting the exact same way they used to act in high school? I mean, or they're talking the same way, and you're thinking, dude, it's been ten years. You're not any more mature. You, 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 you act the same way. It's because they don't renew their mind. Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. Romans 12, 2 says this, be transformed, which is our goal, by the renewing, like you renew your Costco card or your license, by renewing your mind, let God transform you inwardly by changing the way you think. Real change, it starts from the inside and comes out. And, and, and the world has a way, on, from Monday to Saturday, of putting the wrong things in our mind. That's why Sunday morning is not just enough to get in the Word. It's got to be Monday through Saturday as well. You know, when alcoholics go to AA, one of the things they do is they stand up and they say, my name's so-and-so and I am this. Okay, that's one thing we're not going to do. We're going to stand up and say, my name is John Paul and God is healing me of this problem. Uh, if I had cancer, I'm not going to go around tonight. I got cancer. I got, I'm not going to claim the problem. I'm going to talk about the solution. God is restoring my body, my health. He's healing my wounds. He's getting rid of this cancer in my life. I am overcoming this addiction in my life. The reason we do that as Christians is because Romans 4.17 says to call those things which be not as though they were. That's our faith at work. We're not denying the problem. We're just not accepting it as a part of our life. We're accepting healing. We're accepting restoration. We're accepting freedom from that addiction. Are you with me? Say, oh yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, so I have three points for you today on how to renew your mind. And they all start with the letter R. R. Isn't that, aren't I intelligent? I can't, aren't I incredibly intelligent? <laughs> you can't even say the word intelligent. Okay, so point number one for your notes is this. Reprogram with faith reprogram the same way you reprogram a computer. Our mind is exactly like a computer. Whatever we put in is what's going to come out of us. Uh, you can buy the most expensive, high-dollar computer, fastest one in the world, but if you download viruses, if you download the wrong software, if you keep putting the wrong thing in, the wrong thing is going to come out. How you respond to your enemies, how you react in difficult situations, um, how you speak to people, all of this is based on what you're putting inside of you. 
Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he will become. It does not say the way God thinks about you is what you're going to be. I wish it said that. I wish it said however God thinks about you is what's going to happen. It says what you put in is what's going to come out. And so there's nothing wrong with the computer. There's something wrong with what's being put into the computer. Uh, when these viruses attack and when, these ne- when, these, when the computer does not function the way the creator of the computer created it to function, it's not the computer, it's the wrong software. So on a regular basis, when the wrong software starts coming to our computer of our mind, we have to reject it and replace it, and, then, and we have to reprogram what's going on in the inside. For instance... If you've ever had the thought, man, God is so done with me, I promised him a thousand times I would never do this again, and I keep failing in this area, well, that's a virus. So what you do is you open up the word to Philippians 1.6, and you say, he who began a good work in me will continue until it is fully complete. And you don't just say it on Sunday, you got to keep saying it until it becomes a part of you. Uh, it's just like whatever we talk about today, if you leave here and you forget it, it's not going to change your life. The change occurs whenever it's on the inside and it's a part of who you are. That's why I work so hard to, to, to teach things that I hope you'll remember. Remember starts the letter R as well. That's why I teach things to help you remember. If, if you think this, you know what, this addiction has been so bad, uh, I'm just addicted and this is my life. John 8, 36, if the sun sets me free, I'm free indeed. You say, well, I'm not free. You call it by faith. You keep on saying it. Your body doesn't know the difference. Your cells hear what you're saying. Uh, if you have a wayward child, your, your grandchild, they're doing right, and you think, God, uh, what am I going to do? The child's just doing so. They're in and out of jail. They're on drugs. Da, da. Stop talking about the problem and start talking about Joshua 24, 15. is for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And if you have to say it every day until the day you die, it's worth it for that child's life to be turned around. God operates where there's faith. If you ever thought, man, if I could just lose weight, I'd look prettier. If I had more makeup, if I had this. Psalms 139.14 says, I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. See, all we're doing is reprogramming the software. When you see people that are always trying to um, um, show off how they look and get affirmation from everybody, they got the wrong software. They're looking for the world to affirm them. But God says, I made you fearfully and wonderfully. I made you just like I wanted. I gave you the metabolism I wanted you to have, the hair color I wanted you to have. You are perfect in my sight. The day that I got saved, I was in a parking lot, and I had my Bible next to me, and I was just in tears, and, and I had this stronghold in my life for years that, that God was never going to love me until I could act right and do right. And so it took a long time for me to finally get my will to turn it over to him because I kept thinking, well, after I, if I can just be good for a year, and then that didn't work out. If I can just be good for six months, and that didn't work out. If I, could go, if I can be good for one hour, if I can just have no bad thoughts for one hour, then maybe God will love me and he'll save me. And so I was in my car, and I'm just going through a bunch of stuff, and I finally said, okay, God, if you'll save me today, I'll spend the rest of my life earning your love. At least 10 years. I, I, think, I think, God, if I can do this good and this good for 10 years, at that point, then I'll receive your love and then I'll, I'll be okay, and life's going to be okay. And that day, I opened up my Bible, and it's the first time I've ever done this, and I just threw my finger on a page, and the, the, the verse that my finger was touching was Jeremiah 31.3, which is my life verse. It says, I've never quit loving you and never will expect love, love, and more love. It's just reprogramming your mind is all it is. Now, this doesn't always work the finger on the page, so don't do it when you leave church today, Okay. <laughs> 
A few years ago, I was really discouraged. I tried it again, and it ended up on Malachi 2.3, which says, I'll punish you by spreading animal dung on your face, throw you in a manure pile. So it doesn't always work, okay? Okay. <laughs> it's just... It's just the one time, so... Unless God was trying to tell me something. Anyway, um... Whenever you're, whenever you're battling something, it's easy to think about the problem. It's easy to think about how far you got to go and all these things. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things, not on my own, not on my own, but through Christ who strengthens me. It's always through Christ who strengthens me. Um, for some of you today, if God fixed all of the problems in your life this morning and healed you and fixed everything you're worried about, if you don't renew your mind daily, by next Sunday you'll have the same problems. Because the, the, we, the, we have a hedge of protection around us, and the only way the enemy gets in is if we open the door. Most of us, our open door is in our mind. We just let that seed come in, and we just keep on dwelling on it. We can visualize everything. The worst-case scenario, we see it happening when the Word of God is right there next to us to pull out. Uh, Psalm 1-2 and Joshua 1-8 says this, If you make it a habit, if you renew your mind daily, day and night, if you'll make it a habit of just getting one proverb just one scripture, your life verse, whatever it is. If you'll meditate on it, here's what's happened. You'll have prosperity and you'll have good success. The minute you stop the habit is the minute Satan starts to bombard you with every negative thought he can. You can't look at the news and expect your computer to function properly. You can't look at social media and everything that's going wrong. You can't think about Chinese blimps blowing us up with anthrax all day. And, not, and, and think that you're going to go out and live a very peaceful, there's going to be no fear, no worry. You can't fill your mind up with that stuff. you got to get in the Word. Um, my favorite story to tell, and I'll tell it until the day I die, is uh, my, my fourth child, Asher. When he was uh, two months old, he just began screaming, just screaming bloody murder. I mean, just at the top of his lungs, face red. We couldn't get him to stop, so we took him to the emergency room. And they said, uh, he must have pulled a muscle. Take him home. He'll be okay. He kept on screaming. Six hours later, we go back. They said, we can't figure it out. I'm sure it'll pass. Take him home. He'll be okay. Six hours later, it's about 3 a.m. I went in the emergency room, and I said, listen, um, y'all have never seen somebody act a fool like I'm going to act in this place if you don't find out what's wrong with my child. I will, I will destroy it. I'll do whatever. I'll call lawyers. You better take care of my baby right now. And they sent us upstairs, and they did a spinal tap. And I remember the doctor coming in saying, he's never done such a severe spinal tap on a person ever. It was, it was horrible. Couldn't find out anything. Did tests, couldn't find out. They sent us to MUSC in an ambulance. We're there week after week. It's turning into months. They're trying to figure it out. They did about four or five spinal taps, uh, CT scans. They x-rayed every inch of his entire body, nothing. Finally, they did an MRI, and they were shocked to see this because they had never seen it ever before. And here's a picture of his MRI, a malformation in his spinal cord. They said in all medical history, there's never been a human being that age with a malformation in that location, and they have no idea what to do. They'd never seen it. They called doctors all around the world. They asked if they could put us in the medical books. We agreed, of course, in is a teaching hospital. And um, they said, we don't know what to do. We're going to try to pull it out. They said, but we need to go ahead and prepare you. He's probably not going to make it. Like, you can either spend these next few, you know, days, weeks with him, or you can sign this papers, you know, that, that we're going to try to do a surgery. But they said, if he survives the surgery, the best case scenario is he'll have a swan neck. It's where your neck's always like this. And they said, he'll be in a wheelchair and probably won't be able to communicate to you. That's the best case scenario. 
Man, you talk about fear entering your mind. When, when people that are smarter than you, and, you know, we were, I was, you know, I don't know, 26, 27 years old, and you got these, these, these older people, they walk in the room with such authority, and, of course, we love doctors, love nurses, but when they come in and they tell you these scenarios that make you want to just, just go and be with Jesus today, it, 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 it ruins you. It ruins you. And um, it was getting worse and worse. His body was stopped working until he went to a company. In fact, at one point, I didn't even say this in the first service, but he was, you know, constantly screaming. No matter how much morphine they gave him, he was in pain. And when he went into a coma, it started from his feet, you know, little by little, and it worked its way up to the point where he, could, he couldn't scream even though he was in pain, but his eyes could move. And so you're seeing your little baby's eyes twitch so hard in pain, but they can't even get the yelling out and, and screaming. And at that point... I remember I had this, 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 this vision came to me uh, a few years before I was in a, a really huge funeral home doing a funeral, and I was just walking around beforehand, and there was a room with all the caskets. And I saw these miniature caskets, and I thought they were like replicas of the big ones. You know, you see what kind of wood you want and all that stuff. And uh, so I asked somebody, they said, no, these are baby caskets. They're for babies. And in the hospital that day, I could see my son in the casket, I could see the funeral. I could see his siblings crying and coming to me saying, Daddy, why did God let this happen? I could see all of that. I told God that day, I said, if my child dies, I'll never serve you again. I'll never speak to you. I'll never help anybody ever again if you let my child die. I mean, the worst fear you could imagine. I mean, our minds are just consumed with it. Um, a few hours later, all of a sudden, just something rose up in me, and I ran to the nurse's station, and I grabbed a stack of paper. I got a permanent marker, and I got some tape, and I sat there in the room. We didn't have our Bibles with us. We didn't have those phones. There was no internet back then on phones, nothing like that, and I just began to think of every scripture I'd ever memorized that was on the inside, and I wrote it down, and I put Asher's name in the scripture. You know, God has granted Asher long life and favor. By the stripes of Jesus, Asher is healed. Um, the Lord's favor surrounds Asher like a shield. Asher is the apple of God's eye. Everything I could think of, you can see the picture. I mean, they were all over the room, all over the room. They were taped all across his bed. When they wheeled him into surgery, I'll never forget seeing the, the scriptures just kind of blowing in the wind as he's going down the hallway. Do you know within about an hour after those scriptures were up, everything changed? Everything changed. The nurses and doctors, they thought we were crazy. They said, you can't do this to this room. This is a hospital. Another one came in and said, oh, let them do it. It's, no, it's not going to do anything. There's no harm on that. But man, the faith that rose up in us, I ended up praying a prayer. God, if my child dies in this hospital, I will serve you so strongly for the rest of my life because I know he's going to go be with you, and I want to be with you too, and I want to be with him. I'll serve you. I'll, I'll help. I'll do whatever. God, I don't care. Whatever the outcome is, I totally trust you. He went into surgery. They came out, and I remember one guy, doctor was from India, and he had the turban on his head, and he says, we are shocked. We had no, we didn't know, we had no idea it was going to be this good. They said, if he comes out and he wakes up, you're going to be here in the hospital for another three months while we you know, see what's going on and everything. Three days after his surgery, they sent us home. He's strong. He's healthy. He's the strongest kid. Man, he's an amazing young man. Here's the point I want you to see. You can't bring something out of you unless you've put it on the inside of you. You can't meditate on something that you've never put inside of your mind. How are you going to quote scripture? How are you going to get it out if it's never been entered into the computer? Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I stored. 
I, it's hidden. Now, there's some Christians out there, and, and they're wrong, I'm right, but they think that um, Satan can't take the word from you. But in the Gospels, Jesus gives a parable where the seed is sown on the ground, and Satan can come and take it up. In other words, if I don't somehow teach you, and you don't listen in a way where you remember when you leave, you leave here, it's going to be gone out of your life. It's going to do nothing for you. The whole goal is to remember it. To get it on the inside. So let me say the scripture in a different way. Thy word have I memorized. Thy word have I stored in a place where Satan cannot take it away from me. I can be on a desert island. I can be in a hospital. No internet. No Bible. But I got it on the inside so it's going to come out when I need it. That's what, that's what that means. Okay, point number two is this. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faith. Psalm 77, 11. I recall the marvelous deeds of the Lord. I will remember the miracles you have done. Everyone in this room, we've all gone through hard times. We've all had prayers that weren't answered. But also every one of us have times in our life where we look back and say, that had to be the hand of God. That There's no other. That had to be that song that came on at just the right time. That text that that friend sent you when you needed it more than ever, that person that God brought in your life for that season of your life, that had to be. We have this history with God. Um, in, the, in the Bible days, whenever the men would carry around a staff, it wasn't just a walking stick. It wasn't just a, to you know, push animals away. They were a nomadic people. They were nomads. And, and so they didn't have computers. They didn't have file cabinets. So the way they would keep their history with God was on the staff. They would carve things into it. For instance, on this day, uh, God helped us defeat the Amalekites. On this day, my son was born, happy, healthy, and whole. On this day, God gave us water from a rock in the middle of the desert. It was the way they remembered all that God had done for them. When David faced Goliath, he didn't just bring his slingshot with him. 1 Samuel 17, 40 says David took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones, and he went straight toward Goliath. Why did David do that? Because it reminded him of all God did for him in the yesterday. Remember when the bear came after David's sheep, and then the lion, and David killed him with with his bare hands? Remember the day that, that Samuel anointed me to be the next king of Israel, and David just keeps reading through it, and he thinks, man, if God helped me defeat a bear, if God helped me defeat a lion, surely this giant's going to be no problem for God. In verse 43, Goliath said, Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? David said, Oh, this ain't a stick, man. This ain't a stick. This is my history with God. If you knew all the things God's done for me in the past, you would dare not stand before me today. David went after Goliath. I bet he read it one more time, threw it on the ground. In verse 46, David said, Today the Lord will help me defeat you. I will overcome you and take off your Head. I bet you as soon as Goliath fell, the first thing David did was pick up that staff and write, Today God helped me defeat the biggest enemy I've had up to date. And that's actually the day that David really got ahead in life. The first service loves me. And so... Uh, when Moses and the Israelites, right, they, they leave Pharaoh, they're at the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind. All of a sudden, the Bible says two million people, and these are God's people, were screaming and crying in fear and anxiety. Have you ever cried so much you just can't even get any more tears out? You're so upset, so depressed, so afraid, you're dry heaving over the toilet. God, I can't believe this is happening to me. That's how they were. God said, Moses, they need faith. Moses says, what do I do? God said in Exodus 14, 16, just put your staff up in the air. 
Can you imagine two million people? Oh, what are we going to do? It's so bad. And all of a sudden, they look up and they see their pastor hold up this, this, this computer, this file cabinet, and they think, yeah, remember when God uh, sent the plagues on our enemies and he protected us? They started thinking, remember that time that when we left Egypt, uh, our, 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 our mat, the Egyptians, they gave us all their gold and their jewels and their clothing? Remember the time God gave us water from water? Remember the time God spoke to Moses through the burning bush? Yes, and their faith rose up, and all of a sudden the Red Sea parts. They walk across, they look behind them, and they see Pharaoh and his army drown. I bet you Moses picked up that staff and put, Today I watched my enemies drown in the Red Sea. See, our problem is this. We forget the things that we should remember, and we're remembering the things that we should be forgetting about. You know what David did not have written on his staff the day that his father rejected him? He didn't want to remember that. The time his brothers made fun of him, he didn't want to think about that. It was only the good things that God had done. Uh, a few years later, Moses retires and Joshua was going to take over. And in Exodus 17, 14, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites, and the Lord told Moses, I need you to write this down. I need you to record this. I need you to get your journal out. I need you to get a diary. Put it in your phone. Do something and read it to Joshua again and again and again. Here's why. I want him to remember. I want him to know that I'm always with him. I don't want him to forget the battles that he fought in the past that I helped him overcome. Because see, we all have, in this room, we all have things we want to accomplish. We We have things we want to overcome. We think, God, I got so much to do. And God's saying, look back and see how far you've come. In fact, the very fact that some of you are actually in this building just proves that God's hand is on your life. Some of you wouldn't even be alive if not for the hand of God. Don't forget about those things. Don't forget about them. I have a, um, a thankful folder on my laptop. I started it in 2006. It's been on every laptop I've had. And every time God does something special for me, um, I write it down. Uh, a friend that he brings in my life. Somebody gets me a present, a gift card, a letter someone encourages me with. Just things that you, there's, there's, there's hundreds, if not probably over a thousand entries. I have 17 years of my history with God on this little thankful folder. Just to remind me, and see, it's so easy to forget. I was looking through it the other day, and um, every year on my birthday, I do this thing with God where I ask him for a, a birthday present. I say, God, this is what I want this year. And, Something for the church, something for me, something for my kids, something, just something unique. One year, I think it was about 2010 or 11, um, I love movies. I'm a movie buff. I, know all, I love all the actors, and I know the directors, and they're, you know, I always look and see who composed the music. I love all that stuff. And so one year, I just said, God, I said, um, it was in May, I said, God, I want to meet a movie star. I just, I just want to meet a movie star. Two weeks later, I get a call from this guy. He says, I'm I'm coming to Myrtle Beach. I saw you online. I want to pay you to marry me and my fiance. And I don't like doing weddings. It takes a lot of time. I said, okay. So I thought, I'm going to charge him a lot. I said, $500. Thinking he said, no. He said, okay, deal. I thought, oh, I should have said $1,000. But anyway, and so (laughs) I go to the wedding. And it's just him and his fiance. They have the marriage license. That's it. He said, it was just us three. I said, that's And and so I'm, I'm doing the marriage license. And the name is Tom Gurry. And I, look, I said, you look so familiar to me. He said, have you ever seen the movie Sandlot? I said, yeah. He said, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> I married that guy and his fiance. He was in U571 with Matthew McConaughey. A bunch of great stuff. I couldn't believe, okay, it gets better. A month after that, I'm preaching regular Sunday morning. I look in the crowd and I see somebody. I thought, this guy looks familiar to me too. I go to him after church. I said, are you James Rephorn? He says, I certainly am. This guy right here was in our church. 
He was in um, one of my favorite movies, The Game with Michael Douglas. He was in Seinfeld. He was in Independence Day. Meet the Parents. You know, he was, the, he was, in, he was in like 25 different movies, whatever. I said, what are you doing in my church? He said, well, I'm Lutheran. And I normally, when I visit Myrtle Beach, I go to a Lutheran church. But somebody told me I should come to your church. And I really loved it. I said, do you know I prayed for you to come to my church about a month ago? Your Lutheran butt is in this church because I said a prayer on my birthday that God answered that prayer. I'm not just, just things that God's done. I bet if you took some time later today, just you and Jesus, I bet you could come up with over a hundred miracles that he's done in your life that you say that had to be God. In Psalm 78, 42, it says this, they cause God, how can we call, does God have emotions for us to pain him? It says we can grieve the Holy Spirit, right, in the New Testament. What did they do to cause God pain? Did they murder? Was it adultery? Was it stealing? Lying? Did they break the Ten Commandments? What did they do that caused God pain? They just forgot. They went about their life and they just forgot. Took the kids to school, soccer practice, went to work. But they forgot. Watching Netflix, coming to church every week. But they forgot. The miracles of his hand, how he rescued them and saved them and delivered them. If there's ever anything you need to put in your thankful folder, if there's ever a time you want to remember the faithfulness of God, remember the day that he saved your sorry soul from hell. The place where we deserve to go. Because we're simply born into sin. The fact that he saved you, that should be the top of your thankful folder. Don't ever forget um, years after David had um, accomplished so much you know, in, in the Bible, we see him defeat Goliath and do all these great things, and he's, a, he's a, a heart player at the palace. Everything's going great. He was a big success, but he went from a success to a failure overnight. The current king, King Saul, is trying to kill him. So David runs out of the palace, and the nation who he is called to serve is the nation that's looking for him to murder him. He runs out of the palace. He's running from city to city trying to hide out, doesn't want anybody to see him or know who he is because he knows that Saul's got men everywhere looking for him. He finally takes a breath in one city, just sits down to relax, and he realizes, I ran out without my weapon. He knows his enemies are coming. He doesn't know what to do. And David was the most skilled warrior in the entire Bible. There's things that David did in his military that militaries around the world to this day still use the tactics that David used. Amazing skilled warrior, but he has no weapon. So he starts asking around, does anybody have a weapon I can buy? A slingshot? Is there a spear? A bow and arrow? Anything? It's such a small town. They said, no, there's nothing. Every man in the town has their own weapon. They're not getting rid of it. And then somebody shouts out, there is one weapon in this town. He says, what are you talking about? There's actually a sword in this town, but it belongs to a former shepherd named David. David's thinking, I'm David. I used to be a shepherd. What are you talking about? This guy says in 1 Samuel 21, 9, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, it's here. David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. Of all the places, of all the times in history, of all the weapons that could be available, the weapon that Satan used to forge against David is now the weapon that God gave David to encourage him and go defeat his new enemies in life. Don't forget the previous battles that you did win. You know, when we're going through an attack, that's all our mind is consumed with. 
Don't forget the things that God's already brought you through. I realize we have a long way to go. Guess what? You've already come a long way in your life. Just how many of you, by a show of hands, would say, if not for the obvious goodness of God, you wouldn't even be in church. You wouldn't even be in this building today. Just look back at what God's already done in your life. Point number three is this. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. When you renew your mind, when you remember the faithfulness of God, when you're reprogramming your software, here's what it causes you to do. It causes you to have a, a faithful spirit. Uh, Psalm 51.10, this is David speaking in our main chapter we're studying. Created me a clean heart. Only God can do it. You can't change your heart, but you can't change your mind. And renew a faithful spirit within me. So last Sunday, I was, I was teaching you about the seven churches of Revelation. Y'all remember that with the seven churches of Revelation? Let's try it again. Last Sunday, I was teaching you all the seven churches of Revelation. Do you remember the seven churches of Revelation I taught you about? Okay, yes, that's good. You remember so well. And so uh, here's a picture of the churches. So, so the island of Patmos you see here on the bottom left, uh, that's where John has been exiled. Remember, they tried to burn him uh, in oil. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They finally just sent him away. And it's, he's about 100 years old. It's about 95 A.D., about 65 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. And Jesus appears to John and says, I want you to write what I'm telling you. And send it to these seven churches. The first church was Ephesus. We talked about that last week. The seventh church was Laodicea. It goes from the left up and right. I want to talk to you a little bit about the church of Smyrna. It's the second church, church of Smyrna. Um, in the King James Bible, it says when the Revelation letters got sent out, it was given to the angel of each church. Uh, that word angel is actually the word messenger in other translations and in the original Greek. So it's referring to the senior pastors, what most theologians believe. So I need you to, because I'm a very visual person, and I, you know, I see everything in the Bible as a big movie. So I want you to visualize with me um, that our church of Smyrna, we're suffering, we're going through some trials in life. Uh, the Chinese are trying to send blimps to blow us up and things like that, and we don't know what's going to happen. And so, um, but luckily, Jesus himself um, right, asked John, the, the disciple of love, to write a letter for us. Would we be excited, yes or no? So excited, okay? So I'm the pastor of Smyrna, let's say, and y'all are at the church of Smyrna, and hey, we're, we're tough times, but guess what, everybody? Jesus wrote us a letter. Woo, okay, are you ready to be encouraged? Okay, good. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. This letter is to the church in Smyrna, that's us, from the one who was the first and the last who was dead but is now. That's from Jesus, everybody. Woo! Okay, I know about your suffering and poverty. He knows what we're going through. Isn't that great? But you're rich. We are rich because we're saved and it's going to be okay. We know. I know those opposing you. He knows our enemies. They say they are Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> That was my satanic cat. That's what it, it's a cat. <laughs> um, what am I, I'm going to tell you what that means in a second. Okay, stay with me. So this is Jesus. Do not fear the things which you are. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? We're already going through stuff. Don't fear the things which you're about to suffer. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. You will, this is not as encouraging as I thought it was going to be, is it? You will suffer tribulation for 10 days. But if you remain faithful unto death, I'll give you the crown of life. Oh my goodness, come on! How would that make you feel? Okay, so let me teach you some church history. This is a very, very sad time in church history. 
The first century church was mainly Jewish-led. Of course, the original apostles were Jew, Jews. Um, but they started having some, um, in Smyrna, it was very heavily Jewish-led, but they started to get some Jews that were becoming Christians. They were receiving Jesus as the Messiah, as their Lord and Savior. Um, the Jews that were ethnically Jews and the Jews that were now Christians, they were getting along, they were cordial up until about 80 A.D., in 81 A.D., there started a little bit of rioting back and forth. By the time it got to 90 A.D., the emperor passed an edict that he was God. Now, all throughout world history, when someone usually passes an edict, it's usually them saying about somebody else, hey, bow down to that idol. They're the... But this guy stood up one day and said, you know what? I woke up this morning and I realized something. I'm God, and I want everybody to bow down to me. And so the way it worked was any Roman soldier at any point of any time in this historical moment um, walked by you and he would ask you to get on your knees and swear allegiance to the emperor and deny Jesus Christ. And if you refused to do it, you would be killed or you'd be thrown in prison 10 days, tortured every single day, 24-7, and then be killed if you didn't deny Jesus. The Jews around 90 AD and during this time, they were exempt because they were recognized as a true religion. Uh, really, the emperor just didn't want a lot of fighting and chaos. He wanted to take control in a, in a, a little bit of a peaceful way. But uh, the Jews were monotheistic, which means they have one god. And, and Greeks, they were upset that these people would not worship all the different gods that they had. And so there was a lot of writing back and forth. But here's the point I want you to see. The new Christians in this early church, they were not exempt. They were not exempt. And what was happening was some of the Jews, not all of them, some of them were turning the new Christians into the Roman government. They were turning them in. Um, they were slandering some of these Jews turned Christians by saying three things. They said that they were um, arsonists, even though uh, Nero burned down Rome, but Nero who burned down Rome said that Christians did it. And the way he proved it was because they're always talking about the fire of the spirit or the spirit of the fire or whatever. They said that the Christians were um, cannibals because they talked about eating and drinking the body and the blood of Jesus. And they said that Christians were separating families because once a Jew received Jesus as their Lord, uh, the family unit was more important than anything to the point where they would cut it off. You have to believe like us or you're not part of the family. And so they were separating families, so it caused a lot of division. So some of the Jews, again, not all of them, you'll see this in Acts 14 and Acts 17, just some of the Jews were turning in some of the other Jews that were turning into Christians into the Roman government. Here's what would happen. Here's what Jesus is telling them. Because you think with 10 days, that's not bad. I might could handle 10 days. Well, the 10 days of torture was 24-7 all through the days and night, trying to get them to deny Jesus. If they did it, uh, they would be killed with their family. And the way they would be killed was they would either be burned at the stake or they would be turned into the, um, to the arena of the gladiators. And most times a lion would kill them. Now, another little piece of church history. I don't know if you like this or not. But um, remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was sweating great drops of blood? The only other time in history where you see that happening to a human being is during this era, and it was when a Christian man was thrown into the arena, and his wife and children were forced to watch him die at the hand of the lions, um, and him knowing that they were forced to watch, and him knowing that once he lost, they would kill the, the wife and children, and those men, the, the history tells us, they would be so filled with anxiety and fear and stress that, they would, that blood would come out of their pores. And so Jesus is telling them, I realize there's some Jews that are turning you in, and they're from the synagogue of Satan. And, um, but the way Jesus starts this letter by saying, I'm the first and the last, he's saying this, I'm eternal. In other words, he's saying, I'm faithful when you're alive and everything's going good. I'm faithful when you're on earth and everything's going bad. And I'm faithful once you leave earth and you're with me in heaven. I'm the first and the, I'm always with you. 
remain faithful. And this church, they were constantly renewing their mind to work. Now, let me tell you this. Um, in Romans, is it Romans? Acts 12, James, who's the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, uh, was executed. A few verses later, Peter, one of the pastors in the Bible, was miraculously released from prison. Was God faithful to Peter and not James? Corey Ten Boom, uh, she was a member in the Nazi camps, and when they would rape the young ladies, they'd get to her room, and because she had body lice, they wouldn't touch her. As soon as Corey Ten Boom escaped the Nazi prison camp, the lice just left her body. That was God protecting her. But her sister was murdered in the Nazi camp. Was God faithful to Corey and not her sister? What he's trying to teach them is this. Listen, when you're, when you're in the Word, when, it's, when it comes a part of you, you can be faithful in the good times. You can be faithful in the tough times. You can be faithful when you die and go to heaven because our God is always faithful. Now, what I really want you to see about this story, and I'm going to close with this, uh, Ephesus that we talked about last week. Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus, and Paul was his spiritual father. Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, trained Timothy as a young man, sent him to start the church of Ephesus. The pastor of Smyrna, his name is Polycarp. Polycarp means um, one who bears much fruit. Polycarp's spiritual dad was John. John's on the island of Patmos. Remember, John's the love disciple. For God so loved the world. He's writing to the churches, and then Jesus says to him, and I can picture it happening. John's 100 years old. He's saying, oh, this is good. Ephesus, they're going to love this. What's the next church? And Jesus says, now I want you to write to Smyrna. And John thinks, oh, this is going to be great. That's my son. That's my son's church. How can I encourage him? And Jesus says, you can encourage him by letting him know when these tough days come, if he'll be faithful, it'll all work out. It'll be okay. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. And I can just picture John's hand just kind of shaking, going numb. But Jesus, this is my son. I don't want him going through all this. Jesus says, it'll be okay. I'll be with him. I'm faithful. It's going to be okay. And John's writing it. Now, here's what I want you to know. After Polycarp got the letter and read it to the church, two years later, he was turned in and they captured him. He was tortured for 10 days, every single day, 24-7 for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, he refused to deny Jesus. And so they burned him at the stake. The fire did not harm him. While they're trying to burn him alive, he is preaching love to these torturers. He's telling them, God so loved the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came that you might be saved. He's preaching love to the people that are torturing him. He finally wouldn't die, so they finally grabbed a spear and ran up to him and shoved it into his heart. But here's what I'm trying to teach you today. Man, when you're filled with the Word, you could, I know it's hard to picture right now. I know you just can't believe it. But when you're filled with the Word so much and you've deleted all those worldly viruses on the inside, you could be burned at the stake and still preaching love to the people that are hurting you. He closes and says, and I'll give you the crown of life. The, the crown in the, in the Greek, there's two words for crown. There's diadem, which is like a royal crown. That's not this word. This word is uh, stephanos. It's a crown given to someone like in the Olympics. And it's just so great. Jesus is saying this, listen, I know it's tough. I know you're going to fall a thousand times. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. If you'll keep going forward on the day you lose your body, your bodily life, 
I'll see you and I'll give you a crown because you ran your race. You know what's funny? We think we're going to get that crown because we're full of faith. We ain't got nothing. The faith that you needed the day you got saved, you didn't have that faith. Jesus even gave you that faith. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Let me say it in a different way, using English words. If we have less faith, he always is full of faith. How do we remain faithful? We renew our mind daily in the Word. Amen. That's all I got for you today. Heads bowed.